This is the promise today for every believer in this room. The steps of a good man, a righteous man, are ordered by the Lord. And he delights in his way. Though he shall fall, because you're going to fall even if you're righteous. He shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I've been young and now I'm old and I've never seen the righteous forsaken. Nor his seed begging bread. I'm going to end there but I could keep on reading because there's a promise to the righteous man. That makes a decision. I'm going to walk in the way of the Lord. And I want you to hear me. I don't care if you've been walking outside of his will for 30 years. And this is the first time that you're considering surrendering to God. He will take 30 years of sin and brokenness. He'll take 50 years, 70 years of addiction and shame and pain. And in one moment, he will turn that around if there's a surrendered heart. There's freedom in this house today. There's life in this room today for somebody. If you believe it, I wonder if you could lift both hands in the air and if you could pray with me. Jesus, in this room, I pray that freedom would just begin to flow. I pray that God ordered steps would begin to take place. That somebody who's been out of sync, out of the will of God, whether it's their first day here, God, or Lord, if they've been serving you for many years. God, if they've drifted from your will, it's time to bring them back in to an ordered place. I pray God in the name of Jesus that freedom and life would flow in this place in Jesus name and everybody said amen. Amen. You can be seated. You can be seated. I love what I feel here today. The steps of a good man, a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. When we look at that word, that Old Testament word in Hebrew uh, that word ordered This is what it means. It means his steps are appointed. His steps are certain. His steps are established. Metaphorically, that word, what it implies to you and I, is when you're living a righteous life, a good life. And again, I'm thankful that the psalmist David let me know in the next verse, that doesn't mean you're not going to fall. Amen, somebody? Because there's an idea that in order to be righteous, it means I'm perfect. But that's not what it means, especially in our context when we understand that the righteousness of Christ has been placed upon us. The righteousness of Christ has been put on our shoulders. My, my little boy on the way to church today, he began to ask me about this concept. Not specifically, he's only five, so he wasn't necessarily prophesying. But he said, Dad, what, what happens whenever, whenever someone is saved? He started asking me that. And I said, well, here's the good news. This is what it is. I said, buddy, everybody's bad. Everybody's done bad things. And I'm just going to give you a two-minute version of the gospel today. Every single person is broken in this room. You don't need improvement. You need a complete makeover. You need, And I'm not talking about a makeover like you go down to the salon and get a makeover. I'm talking about God has to remake you completely. You don't have enough goodness to be improved on. You didn't walk in here with enough good characteristics to make God impressed enough to say, I'll just polish it up and he'll be fine. You are destitute. You are broken. I have nothing to offer God. And that's exactly what I told my five-year-old. Just kidding. (laughs) But I did say this. I said, buddy, everybody is broken. Everybody has sinned. And this is what he said. He said, not me. And I said, especially you. And he said, no, I, I, I've, not done anything, I've not done anything bad. And isn't it funny? There's, there's some similarities between my five-year-old and maybe some people that come to church on Sunday. 
I've not done anything bad. He didn't understand. I said, well, buddy, I said, let me explain it to you like this. Have you ever, have you ever disobeyed me? And he said, no. <laughs> and I said, well, let me ask you this. I said, because that's not true. You have disobeyed me. I said, so let me ask you this. Have you ever lied? Ooh, he started to squirm in the back seat. He really did. I could hear him. Uh, well, uh, yes. Yes, he told the truth. I, I have lied. I said, well, then you need the same thing that anybody else needs. And he said, God, what? what? Or he said, Dad, what happens? What does God give us? Does he give us? I heard he gives us white clothes. That's what he said. So he's learning something in class. Amen, somebody. I said, that's right. God, I said, you get a robe of righteousness. That's what happens. You get a robe of righteousness. That, that conversation was happening on the way to church today. And if I could tell my five-year-old that, that, buddy, if you've, if you've sinned, if you've lied, if you've stolen, if you've disobeyed, the promise is that no matter who you are, you need God just like anybody else. But if you ask, if you call on His name, you are going to be able to have access to His righteousness. But here's the thing, is that righteousness only comes when we submit to His will. And the righteous man is someone who is submitted to the will of God. No matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how difficult it might be, we submit ourselves to the will of God. And that's why I like the metaphorical meaning of this word, established, ordered steps. Here's the metaphorical that is implied. It is a house built upon pillars. That's good. I'm talking about an unshakable foundation. You want to live a life of peace, be a righteous person. You want to live a life where you get to live without fear or shame, be a righteous person. Call on the name of the Lord. Ask Him, God, forgive me. Wash me of my shame and my sin. Help me this day, God, to walk in the steps that you've called me to walk in. Spurgeon, a very famous and powerful commentator on Scripture, I'll paraphrase what he said. He said, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. All his life is graciously ordained. And in loving kindness, all is fixed, settled, and maintained. No reckless fate, no fickle chance rules us. Our every step is the subject of divine decree. Man, I love that. God delights in his his ways. As parents are pleased with the tottering footsteps of their children, all that concerns a believer is interesting to their heavenly Father. God loves to watch the holy walk of a person pressing forward toward heaven. In the trials and in the joys of the faithful, Jesus has fellowship with them and delights in being their companion. Woo! I want to be a righteous man. I want to walk the way God has called me to walk. Now, I want you to hear me. This same word, righteous or established, is often used in the oldest book of the Bible, which is the book of Job. And I think we would all agree, if that's what it looks like to walk as a righteous man, I had you signed up about 20 seconds ago when I was reading Spurgeon's words, and you were like, amen, I want to be righteous. But what if it looks like Job? Because here's the thing, you can be righteous and in, what does that mean? In right standing with God, but you've got trials. 
You've got tribulations. You've got frustrations. In fact, some of those New Testament believers, the ones that followed Jesus the the closest, even after uh, His resurrection and ascension, they were establishing the New Testament church in the midst of being persecuted and in the midst of trial, being stoned for preaching the gospel. Paul would stand up. He would dust off all of the dust and the blood and the sweat that he had just endured because a city had kicked him out for preaching the gospel. And you know what he said? He said, it's with much tribulation that we enter into the kingdom of God. Here's what I'm telling you today is you can be in right standing with God and not everything feel right in your life. You can be in right standing with God and still have trials and tribulations. But let me tell you what you will have that others won't have. You may have the same trials. You may have the same tribulations. You may have to face sickness and and issues that you never thought you would have to face. But can I tell you, if you're in right standing with God, if you're a righteous man, the thing that you'll have that the world can't take away and that they certainly don't have is you will have a peace of God that rules your heart. I'm not preaching some easy believism today. I'm not preaching that if you blab it, you can grab it. I'm not preaching some sort of ideology that says Christians don't have trials. We certainly do. But I am preaching that we are victorious in the middle of those trials. I am preaching that the right standing with God allows me to endure the fire that burns others up. I am preaching today that if you want to turn the chaos of your life into order, all you got to do is lift your hands and say God I've had enough of a lack of peace of mind I've had enough anxiety I've had enough frustration bring me into right standing with you that's a true verse if I'll stand right with God I'm going to have an ordered life man that's a true verse but if that verse is true what we know is this we can assume that the opposite is true as well The steps of an unrighteous man are not ordered. The steps of an unrighteous man are the opposite of order, which is chaos. You want to see a chaotic life? It's a life that lacks righteousness. Proverbs says that a double-minded man, and James would say it, is unstable in all of his ways. If you're in a chaotic place and it feels like one second you're serving God and the next you don't want to serve Him at all. And I'm not talking about the battles of the flesh, but I'm talking about a Christian who is walking in a life of fake. That's a chaotic, dark place to live. And I'm calling somebody, maybe you're a sinner today and you walked in knowing I've got nothing but addiction and brokenness. I'm calling to you, but I'm also calling to the member of a church that can show up and know that behind the scenes everything is broken and chaotic and dark. Because what you're walking in is the opposite of order. It's chaos and brokenness. And you'll only be able to walk there so long without it destroying you from within. I love what the 19th century novelist uh, Charlotte Bronte says. A ruffled mind makes for a restless pillow. A ruffled mind makes for a restless pillow. I'm just telling you, I don't want to live an unrighteous life because at the end of the day, I don't like the anxiety that it comes with. Paul would say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be known to God. Stop worrying about the things that are God's to worry about. If you have 
anxiety, if you're anxious, remember that you're holding on to things that you were never meant to hold on to in the first place. Pray and give supplication and hand those things to God and you won't deal with that anxious feeling anymore. What does he say in verse 7? And the peace of God. That's what I'm praying for. That's what the righteous man has. Which surpasses all understanding. When nobody else understands why you feel the way you feel in the midst of what you're going through. is going to guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When Paul tells us to be anxious for nothing but in all things with prayer and thanksgiving. Let our request be known to God. He was calling on a specific word that's not used very often in the Bible. That word anxious it's even different from the definition that we use for anxiety in our modern culture what it means is this in the Greek anxious means to be broken into pieces if you're anxious that's how it feels it feels like one party is over here one party is over here one and you're just not integrated I, I've shared this before but do you know that the root of many personality disorders are actually rooted in anxiety in extreme anxiety and what do we see when we see a personality disorder? It is a, oftentimes a split of one's mind. That there's different uh, sectors that that person can fall into based on maybe uh, chemical imbalance or maybe certain situations. And really oftentimes what those things are rooted in is a very traumatic experience that has taken place either one time or over and over again in their life. And now their mind is broken into pieces. That's what that means. Don't be anxious. Don't allow yourself to be so chaotic between your ears. Paul was saying that if you are righteous, you can give these things to God. You can hand them over and you can say, God, the things that are tearing me up, the things that are making me shaky and chaotic, I am done trying to hold these things and I am ready to surrender my will to your will. Can I just tell you there's somebody in this place I believe needs to hear this right now. It is not the will of God that you walk around fearful and broken in your mind. Yes, there may be some bad days. I'm not telling you that no level of anxiety will exist in your life. Of course it will. But for the most part, it ought to be that Christians walk in victory and in power and in authority. Not because they think they're great, but because they know their God is great and if he is for me who can be against me I have the same problems that I've always had I have the same issues that maybe somebody else is facing but I know where to take them to I've got a higher authority that I hand those to why because I'm a righteous man I've been put in right standing with my God and I feel the Holy Ghost here in this room right now but the prerequisite in order to have this lack of chaos, to fix your life, to walk in peace, is surrender. You have to be willing to surrender. I know this is a different message today, but I feel it in my spirit. That there are people that I can sit across a table from. I can share a cup of coffee with. I can give a Bible study to. And I'm not talking about anybody specifically today. Or maybe I'm talking about everyone specifically, which makes no sense. Take it for what you want. Now, you're like, man, now my mind's broken. But everybody needs to hear what I'm about to say. 
We can have conversation after conversation. We can have counseling session after counseling session. We can work on a one-on-one. You can get plugged into the best team and have the best leaders, but I am just telling you, all of those things ought to be byproducts of the one thing that you have taken care of, which is your relationship with God. Because if you know Him, oh God, I feel the Holy Ghost here. If you know Him, if you understand who you are in Him, if you understand that He has placed His holiness, which you don't deserve and I don't deserve, and He has placed that upon you as that robe of righteousness, can I tell you, you will begin to walk in confidence. The Bible says that that unrighteous one, the one that lacks that holiness, he runs when no one pursues. That's chaos. That's brokenness. He, he's fleeing and nobody is pursuing. But I'm telling you, the scripture says the opposite is this. That the righteous are as bold as lions. See, there's something about confidence that comes with being a righteous person. And if you think I'm talking about your own works and my own works, I'm about to blow that out of the water here in a second. But I am saying this, you don't get to just drift or sit on the sideline and say, God, do your thing. I'm not involved. No, sir. You've got to begin to lean in and say, God, I'm going to be anxious for nothing, but I am going to engage in this prayer and supplication. I am going to engage in the things that God draw me close to you. I am going to get my mind in the powerful word of God because this word is a lamp unto my feet. You want to talk about walking righteously. You know how you do that? You put the lamp of God's word in front of you and then you can walk very surely you see when you're in a dark place you can't walk with surety but when you've got a lamp in front of you while everybody else is just wandering around trying to find their way in the darkness the child of God leans on the word of God and says Lord take the chaos of the world and bring order to, in my mind put it back together for me I'm telling you today that we can have that type of peace in this room I look at the scripture, and, and, and here's the mistake. We often think that, God, I'm, I'm, I'm going to fix this, but I'm going to do it my way. Okay? That's not surrender. It's the opposite of surrender. And can I tell you, it's not a New Testament problem. It's not, it's not, just, a, it's not just a problem in the 21st century. It's not just a problem in, 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 the, in the epistles. It goes all the way back to Genesis. In fact, we, we could bring Adam and Eve up, but I think we've got a great story to illustrate this. Because the Bible says that the children of Adam and Eve were Cain and Abel. And you guys remember how that turned out, right? Not good. Because the scripture says that it comes, this moment comes where it's time to bring a sacrifice unto the Lord. Anybody remember what happens? Abel, he brings a lamb of his flock, which was what he did for a trade. He was a shepherd. So it makes sense, right? It doesn't even feel like that big of a sacrifice. What does Cain do? Cain comes in and he brings of the first fruits because he was a man who worked in the field. He didn't have lambs. He, didn't have, uh, he wasn't a shepherd. He worked in the field. So he brought the fruit of his labor. They laid them both on the altar. And the scripture says that God did not have respect for Cain's offering, but he did Abel's. Now, I don't know about you, but I like things fair. I'm a rule keeper. If you're playing basketball with me and your foot touches the line, I'm going to say something. And, and it's true, Kenton. You can be dismissed. I'm a rule keeper. Uh, Kenton, I know why he said that. Because at leadership retreat, 
Kenton was throwing the cornhole bag overhanded. I said, like, you can't do that. He said, yes, I can. Believe it or not, there is an official rule book for cornhole. And you can't do that. Rule keeper. So I like fair. And if I work as hard as my brother Abel works, and he works in shepherding, and I work in the field, and we both work the same amount, and I put what's on the altar, and he puts what's on his altar, and I say, man, I work just as hard, blood, sweat, and tears to get what I got. In fact, Lord, you know, I had to even worry about the weather. In fact, Lord, if you really wanted to know the honest truth, my dad wasn't even a shepherd. Adam was actually a man that worked in the field. So I'm more like my father, and I know you guys were close. But the Bible says that he looks, and he doesn't have respect. Why would he not have respect? You know that this is so perplexing that you can actually go down a rabbit hole here and begin to read all of the different ideas and commentators, but I believe it's actually a pretty simple explanation. At least we see uh, as far as looking out into the future of redemption. Because what we see on the altar of, of Abel is we see a blood sacrifice. We see the blood of the lamb that is shed for the redemption of the one who is standing there. That's an illusion of the cross. Now guess what? Cain and Abel did not have the luxury of a New Testament perspective. They didn't get to see the cross. All they saw was why would you respect his and not mine? I sacrificed just as much as he sacrificed. I worked very hard for this God. I worked just like he did. And you know what God said to him? He said, if you will be obedient... And come back and bring the proper sacrifice. I will have respect unto it. He didn't give him an explanation of the Messiah. He didn't tell him about the future thing that was going to happen. He just said this. He said, Cain, obedience is better than sacrifice. And in this room today, I feel like that might be the word for somebody. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Because what we see oftentimes is we think that our sacrifice takes precedent over being obedient to the Word of God. Because when the Word of God doesn't make sense to us, we think we can circumvent it by doing man-made things, human tasks. You know how silly it is in, in, in human mind, in, in our human mind, to think that we would be baptized in water. That, that seems silly. So you're telling me you went to church and you got in a giant bathtub and the preacher plunged you into it. Well, it's normal to us, but if we're honest with ourselves, that's a little weird. They don't do that at the workplace. It's your first day here. Get in the water. No, that would be ridiculous. But God has a plan. In fact, we see the order of his plan. It's already being prophesied. It's already being uh, projected in the Old Testament. In that when we look at Noah, what does God do to the entire earth? He baptizes it in water and he promises, I'll never do this again. But what does he say in the New Testament? It will be burnt with fire. John 3 and 5. Understand what Jesus tells Nicodemus. He says to him, a man must be born again of water... And of spirit. Acts 1. And the spirit came down like a fire. And it sat upon each of them. Wow. To the human mind, if I was choosing redemption plan, it certainly wouldn't be repentance, water baptism, and Holy Spirit fire. But you know what? It was God's plan. 
And I can work as hard as I want to. I can come to church as much as I want to. I can be faithful to any denomination as much as I want to. I can use commentators. I can use old sermons. I can justify myself just about out of anything and into anything. But ultimately, the word for somebody in this room is, are you just going to be obedient? Because obedience is better than sacrifice. And can I tell you, it is the word of the Lord. You say, is he still that way? Is that still the word of the Lord? What about all of the great things that a church and exploits that a church might do? What if that church gave to the poor? What if that church was was amazing in spiritual gifts? Matthew chapter 7 and 22, Jesus says this. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name and I will declare to them I never knew you your works did not save you your sacrifice was not good enough I'm not against the sacrifice keep on coming to church faithfully keep on giving of your time talent and treasure because in many of those places that is obedience but make sure that your sacrifice is actually being obedient to the word of God Because that sacrifice is in vain if the only reason I'm doing it is to circumvent the will of God for my life. I don't know where you're at today, but I am here because I believe this. I believe that God has placed a word in some people's spirit that you might be wrestling with right now. And I'm just here to preach to you. You will never go wrong being obedient to the word of God. You won't go wrong. Why? Because now your steps are ordered. Now your steps are right. Now your steps are established. Now you've built a spiritual house that is on pillars. You've built a foundation that is unshakable. Don't worry about what religion tells you. Don't worry about what the opinions of people might be. Just get into the word of God. Listen to the voice of God. And if he says this is the sacrifice, say, God, I want to be obedient. Whatever you have for me, I'll do it willingly. Whatever you ask of me, God, I'll do it willingly. If that's your spirit today, I wonder if you could throw both hands in the air and if you could begin to pray that prayer. God, put chaos in my life back to order through the avenue of obedience. I want to be obedient to your word. Come on, Stello Church, especially leaders, would you lift your voice right now? God, I pray in this room that something would break forth. God, maybe an individual that has been wrestling with their next step. God, I pray that they would not worry about the opinions of men I pray God that they would listen to the word of God Jesus 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 what's God telling you to do what's God been wrestling with you about what's that ministry what's that next step can I just tell you what there's a principle to the word of God that oftentimes we want three four five steps ahead that's how I am I got like a five-year plan for anything like what's the five-year plan God does not respect me in that regard. I'm serious. First of all, because when I give him my five-year plan, I'm pretty sure he just laughs. He's like, not even close, Acres. Just keep being obedient. Because here's what I know about God, is everybody in this room has a next step. I don't care how long you've been serving him. I don't care if it's, if it's your first time here today. You've got a next step. But you've got to have an ear to hear. And say, God, what is my next step? What is it that you want me to do? And I'm praying that today, before you leave this place, either you would get the courage to take the next step or God would reveal the next step to you. You know what I'm believing today? I'm believing that before we leave this place, somebody's going to take the next step in baptism.
Somebody who's been waiting, it's, it's your day. This is your day to be baptized in the name of Jesus. This is your day to go. Why? Because it's obedience to the word of God. And let me just tell you the great thing. You're going to come out a brand new creation because you get to bury the old man. You get to follow Christ in his death and burial, but you also get to follow him in his resurrection. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the grave is going to be alive in you. Don't be fearful. Just do what God says. I don't need every detail. People go, ah, what's going to happen after that? I don't know what's going to happen after that. You may have the worst Monday of your life. There's a good chance you will. I've watched people be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. They get obedient in an altar. And, and let me just stop and say this. Obedience, this is why it's better than sacrifice. Old Billy Cole. I'm going to tell a Billy Cole story. He said, I don't even know who Billy Cole is. Be careful. That was a, that was a powerful, powerful uh, I would say, not early pioneer, but certainly in the last decades, made a huge impact on the Pentecostal movement. Billy Cole, he went to a, a village, and, and he did uh, so, so many missions works, and, and saw the miraculous hand of God. Uh, I've, I've, I've listened to his stories, and, and they're captivating. But Billy Cole went to a, a particular village high, high up in the mountains, and, uh, and in that village, they accepted the message they they were baptized. Everybody was filled with the Holy Ghost. It was an, an incredible, incredible uh, outpouring of the Holy Ghost in a very remote, remote part. I don't remember the region or country, but very remote. And what ended up happening was there was one man, the leader of the village, who was in part responsible for, or for uh, Billy Cole being there. He was there. Is that Ashley Liggins? Oh, it is so good to see you. Come on, let's give it up for Ashley. Sorry, I'm coming back, coming back. But Billy Cole, he said, everybody received the Holy Ghost except that one village leader. The one who, who of all the people, you would have thought he'd be the first one. I mean, he had endeavored to make this happen. He had worked very hard. He had, somebody say sacrifice. sacrifice. He'd sacrificed. He, he, he had sacrificed and he could not receive the Holy Ghost. I've watched religious people walk into an altar and not be able to receive the Holy Ghost. And they look at me and they say, what's wrong? This must be fake. It must not be real. While the people next to them who are addicted, broken, they've got habits, hurts, hang-ups, whatever it is, but they've got a willing heart. They've got nothing to prove. They're receiving the Holy Ghost. And that one who's, who's so devout, and I'm not disrespecting that, but Billy Cole looked at him and he said, the reason you have not received the Holy Ghost is because you think you deserve it. And that man began to cry. And that man began to be broken. And when that hit him, Billy Cole said he fell to his knees. And as he began to cry, the Holy Ghost was poured out right there upon him. And he began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave him the ability to do so. My sacrifice doesn't earn it. 
my obedience to his word, my open heart and my open spirit is what moves God. A prideful heart he's going to resist, but if I come to him humbly, God can't resist a humble heart. He'll move and maybe you walked in here today and maybe you've been showing God all your sacrifices. You've been looking at the altar and you've been saying, God, I worked hard for this. I show up. I do this. I give this much. I keep your commandments. I'm not saying to stop doing those things, but what you need to realize is obedience is so much more important understanding that God whatever your will is for me even if it makes me look foolish or I'm discom- or there's discomfort that comes with it I'm willing to do what you call me to do and in this place today I feel a spirit of willingness entering in to this room I feel like there's somebody who's saying God I just want to take one step towards you I don't have to know three four five steps out I'll take the one step that you give me even if that's a step to lift my hand or to walk to an altar. I'm just hungry for a move of God. I'm tired of the chaos. I'm tired of the brokenness in my family. I'm tired of my marriage feeling completely torn apart. I want to do it your way because my way's not working. Anybody ever felt that way? You ever got to a point where you finally say, I've tried it my way and my way is not working. So God, have your way in this room. You can remain seated, but would you lift both hands in the air? And would you begin to pray, God, let somebody in this room be moved. Oh God, I speak that in the name of Jesus. There's a willing heart in this room right now, God. And I pray that you touch them, that you draw them closely. In the name of Jesus. I'm almost finished, but I want you to hear this right now. And I'm skipping a few things in order to to come to a close. But this, this is what I want you to hear. The light of God is what will bring order to the chaos in your life. The light of God. Obedience to His Word. But what is His Word? His Word is a light. Genesis 1. We see that the world is in what is literally called in verse 2. It's in what we would refer to as chaos. The exact word is the, the, the earth was without form and void, or the world was without form and void. It was void. It was chaotic. It wasn't sinful, but it was chaotic. And what happens but the word of God. Hear me right now. I'm almost finished, but this is so important. The word of God is spoken. And then for the ensuing verses after this, what happens? But things begin to come into order over and over. God begins to integrate what was broken, what was, what was chaotic. Not broken in sin at this point, but what was just void and wild and, and unknowable in so many ways. This God, He speaks His word and in the power of His word, things begin to integrate and come back together. And that exists only for so long before our first parents Adam and Eve, what do they do? They sin. And in the midst of sin, that perfection, that order, it begins to fall apart once again. Can I tell you, I've had a lot of people ask me, if God exists, if He's a good God, then why why do bad things happen to good people? It's a flawed question. There is no good person. You say, what about that seven-year-old that's fighting leukemia? That's not fair. They're not good. Or they're good. I would say to you, they're not good. What does that mean? How could you be so harsh? I'm not telling you that they've reached the age of accountability. 
I'm not telling you that, that, that they've reached a place where they can, they can follow the word of God. I'm not telling you that their soul is in jeopardy, that if Jesus came back, they wouldn't go to heaven. I write that off. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is this, that all of us are descendants of broken parents. And I'm not just talking about one generation away. I'm talking about back to the garden. Because when Adam and Eve took of the fruit and sin came in, disorder and lawlessness came with that. It reminds me of the scripture, 2 Peter 3 and 3, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lusts. And the scripture goes on to say that there would be lawlessness. The disorder and the, the, the degradation of mankind started when Adam and Eve sinned and they were broken and there was this, this disenfranchisement that took place. And all of a sudden, all that was good began to be tainted. And generation after generation, we see the taintedness, the byproduct of that. The cancer, the sickness, the hurt, the shame, the trauma. Whether it be physical or emotional, we are living in the byproduct of chaos that ensued after sin. But What is the will of God for your life, for my life, and for this world? The will of God is that He shines a light on chaos and brings it back into order. And that is why John chapter 1, the first part of the New Testament, we see a parallel between John 1 and Genesis 1. And it's not by accident. He knew exactly what he was doing. What does he say? I'm not going to read it all. I don't have time to read it all. But what does he say? He says that the Word became flesh and he dwelt among us. And you know what it says? is that light, which was the Word, which was God in flesh, Christ Jesus walking among us as a light shining bright on the chaos and the brokenness of culture. What happens? The darkness comprehended it not. What is this light? What is this thing? Someone told me this, this past week, and I won't call them out. They said, but Pastor Devin, when I go to family reunions, this is what my mom tells me. She says, why do you always walk in here? And when you walk in here, it's as if you just flip a light on and shine on everybody. She was mad, uncomfortable. It wasn't a compliment. Your life, living like Jesus, is making the rest of us uncomfortable. Because the darkness comprehends it not. And when you get a light shined on your life, it's uncomfortable. That's why the Bible says, it refers to the prophets in the Old Testament and the preachers in the Old Testament as lesser lights. And you know what the people of God, the Israelites did to many of those prophets, those lesser lights that were projecting and, and, and trying to speak the word of God prophetically? They killed them because they don't like to hear it. And in this day and age, that same spirit can still live in people, which is when the word of God is preached unadulterated and purely, because it makes us uncomfortable in our flesh, we want to kill it. We want to squelch it. We have itching ears and we run to people that will tell us things that we want to hear, not things that we need to hear. And so what we have to pray for is we have to pray for a willing heart that says, God, bring my chaos back into order. If your marriage is broken in this place, I want you to hear me.
I don't have the answer for you. I can't counsel you back into order. I can't do what only the Spirit of God can do in your life. If you've not yet received the gift of the Holy Ghost, I can't lay my hands on you and tell you to receive it as a man. Only God can give you that free gift. But you've got to come into obedience to His Word and just do what God has been asking you to do and He will do the rest. Wherever you're at today, if there's chaos, I feel the Holy Ghost so strong in this room. God wants to shine a light, not to make you uncomfortable for the sake of your discomfort. That's not why. Not so that you would feel bad, just so that you would feel bad. That's not the point. The point is God wants to shine a light the same way that Jesus, God in flesh, the Word with us walking. What was the point? The point was this. He said, I come that they might have life and life more abundantly. I have come to seek and save that which is lost because I'd rather be saved with the light shining in my life and be uncomfortable than to continue to live in darkness and miss salvation completely. God, I pray in this room, let the light of God begin to shine on lives. God, whatever in my life needs to be fixed, I pray, let it be that the light of God begins to shine on that thing. God, I don't want to continue to live in dysfunction or chaos. God, I want you to put my marriage together. I want you to put my family together. God, I want you to begin to restore my mind, heal my body, whatever it is. Pray that God would touch that thing allow God to let that light shine on your life musicians you can make your way as I'm finishing the conclusion of this message I'll take you to Genesis 11 we start in Genesis 1 we jump to Genesis 4 now we're in Genesis 11 you could say that my sermon today in some ways was a verse by verse sermon Because there's a principle that God is showing us in this. And I know it's been different today, but I I pray that it's ministering to you. And I think this last part will, will be a powerful, powerful spot to end on. The Bible says the Tower of Babel. You remember that story? The Tower of Babel is this, is that the people post Noah, post flood, they come together in Genesis 4 or 11 and 1 says, Now the whole world was one language. They had one language and one common speech. There was an integration in their language. It was, it was not chaotic. It was ordered. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in, in Shania. And the, and the Bible, let's, let's move on to the next one in Shinar. And they dwelt there. And they said one to another, one to another Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they had for mortar. Keep going. And they said, go to, let us build a city and a tower. And look at the audacity of these ordered people whose top may reach unto heaven and let us make a name lest we be scattered. They knew lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people, they're one. And they all have one language. And this they begin to do. And this is what he said. And now nothing will be restrained from them. Because when you have order, even if you're going in the wrong direction, you can do an amazing, amazing exploit. God looks, and you know what his response was? You know what it was. God looks and he confounds the languages and he splits them. And many people believe, this is so interesting, many people believe that this was more than just a language change. But have you ever heard the theory of Pangea? 
which was one supercontinent, that it was in this moment that God, His Word was so powerful that it literally split into continents, people. And they were broken. And this is where the origins of, again, theoretically, ethnicities and peoples and tribes comes from. Because when that split took place, then genetic markers begin to happen because those same people begin to reproduce with one another. And whatever the strongest genes were, that became a prominent genetic marker. Thus, we have different colors, nationalities, ethnicities. We can see that. And thank God those things haven't divided us. That's the gift of sarcasm in work right now. They were all one people in one language. Now look at the division in the 21st century. Division, brokenness, race riots, people against each other. The divide is as strong as it's ever been. Rather than being integrated and trying to build a tower in a city so large that we could look God in the eye and tell him that he's worthless, now we're so divided that we're, we're digging our own grave. We're going the opposite direction. But then I will tell you, God always has a plan. Because the Bible says in Acts 2 and 6, when the Holy Ghost is poured out, that they begin to speak with other tongues. And now it was noised abroad. The multitude came together and they were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. You see, the opposite of Babel is Pentecost. The opposite of division and brokenness is the power of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And now what was once broken and not unified, it comes back together. You see, there's chaos in rebellion. There's chaos when we're trying to build something that is against God. When we're trying to build a life that's outside of His will. There's chaos whenever we're trying to make so much money that we can prove to the Father that we never had that we're worth something. When the father that you do have is looking down and saying, you don't have to prove anything to me. All you have to do is be obedient and I will order your steps and I will do something that nobody else can do. And I'm telling you today that the power of the Holy Spirit will bring back together those things in your life that have been broken for so long. It's not a fake message. It is the truth that today, if you will just yield to the Holy Ghost, He will begin to put order back where there's been brokenness. He will begin to bring order where there's been a lack of peace. I speak in the name of Jesus in this room right now, God. Somebody who has been running from your will, somebody who has been going in the opposite direction, they're hearing the word of the Lord. And yes, the light may be uncomfortable, but God, today, they're going to make a decision that says, God, I've had enough of the chaotic living. I've had enough of the brokenness. I need you to touch my life, God. I need you to put things back in order, even if that means I have to run to an altar of repentance and say I'm sorry I'll run to the altar but God just put your hands on my life again would you